You're listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Now here's Pastor Mike. I hope that you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning. You'll turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're in a sermon series called Hold Firm, Getting a Grip on the Confession of Our Faith. And in this study, we are looking at biblically-based doctrine, which guides our faith and practice. Uh, The foundational text for the series, again, is found in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. And before this series ends, I'm not going to put it on the screen, we're just going to quote it together, okay? At some point, you're going to have this memorized. Paul, writing to Titus, says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Doctrine literally means teaching, instruction, that which is taught. It is a developed set of truths or practices which are to be learned and followed. I hope that you know what you believe and, more importantly, why you believe it. Thus far, we have looked at Article 1 of the Baptist Faith and Message, which we believe clarifies these truths for us. Article 1 is the Scriptures. Uh, The Scriptures are God's inspired and completed revelation of Himself to humanity. God has sovereignly, providentially preserved His inerrant and infallible Word for us. That's an important statement. Uh, But it also uh, should challenge us to do something with it. Uh, We should be students of the Word. Uh, We shouldn't be indifferent to the Word. If it's God's revelation of Himself to us, uh, I would say that's, that's pretty important, isn't it? And so I hope that you have, uh, this past week, made it a priority to be in the Word of God and that you will do the same this coming week, the Scriptures. We've looked at Article 2, which is entitled God. That is theology proper. Uh, We have learned that the one and only living and true God is revealed in Scripture to be a trinity of three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet still one, a triunity. Uh, And then with that, we looked at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in Articles 2, A, B, and C. Last week, we looked at Article 3, which is entitled, Man. What uh, do we believe that God's Word says about us? Uh, And we learned that we are created by God. Uh, We are the image bearers of God. Uh, We are to celebrate the gift of gender, particularly in the midst of our confused culture Uh, We are to celebrate the sacredness and the dignity of human life, which uh, we see almost every day is not being done in the culture in which we live, and we are to embrace God's solution to our sin problem. And so with that as our uh, background, our review, let's turn our attention now to Article 4, which is entitled Salvation. Uh, There's a question that I hope rings out this morning to each and every one of you. It's one that I hope that you've been asked before. I hope it's one that you have answered, that you can answer in a definitive way this morning. It's very simply this, are you saved? Are you saved? And that's biblical terminology. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Are you saved? What does the fourth article of our Baptist faith and message say to us? Let's look at the wording. Salvation involves the redemption of the whole man. Some would believe that uh, it's only our physical part of us that needs to be redeemed. 
the part that we can readily see as sinful, our sinful fleshly lusts and those sorts of things. Now this says very clearly that uh, salvation involves the redemption of the whole man. It goes on to say, and is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That, that is the one statement um, that, that certainly creates some issues for people, especially in the pluralistic world in which we live that says there are many ways to get to God. There are many means of salvation, many routes. But this very clearly speaks to the exclusivity of the gospel. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Then it breaks down those different uh, aspects of of salvation. Regeneration, or the new birth, is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment of the entire personality to Him as Lord and Savior. Justification is God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of His righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings the believer unto a relationship of peace and favor with God. Sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration by which the believer is set apart to God's purposes and is enabled to progress toward moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. Growth in grace should continue throughout the regenerate person's life. If in this life you ever reach a place where you feel like you have arrived, you've gotten it all figured out, you're messed up. You're just messed up, okay? Uh, We have not arrived. And then finally, glorification is the culmination of salvation and is the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. So there is article four, salvation. Now with that in mind, let's look at Romans chapter one, verses 14 through 17. The apostle Paul, of course, is writing here. He has a a greeting in the first uh, six or seven verses and whereby he describes himself as a doulos, as a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ, an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, and then he talks about this longing that he has to go to Rome. He's writing to the, to the Romans, naturally, and so that's the reason that this uh, letter is entitled Romans. Verse number 14, he says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Then he goes on to say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. So Paul is writing here to the Romans to help them understand salvation. I think it's important that we understand salvation. 
Many times over the course of my ministry, I've encountered someone who has made a profession of faith and they've gone back to their family or their friends and they've reported that good news. And they've said it something like this. Hey, I was at a camp or hey, at church, I I got saved. And many times they're met with a blank stare and a bit of bewilderment and maybe even get the question in response to that, like saved from what? (laughs) What exactly does that mean? What is salvation all about? I think Paul is, is, is trying to clear that up here for the Romans. And, and man, what a great study. If you make your way through the entire book of Romans, many would say that it is the Mount Everest of the mountain range of, uh, of, of Scripture. Let's look first of all this morning at the source of salvation. It's important that we affirm that salvation has one source. And yet it is expressed in Scripture in several different ways. First, we know that God is the source of salvation. He is the source in that He initiated salvation even in eternity. It's also important that we emphasize relating to God that salvation is by His grace, by His unmerited favor. It's a gift. You can't earn your salvation. Uh, We learned in our study of the book of James that a genuine saving faith expresses itself in good works, is authenticated by by works, but we're not saved by works. Again, in the book of Titus, chapter 3, it says, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, not by works of righteousness. So the source is God and and His grace alone, His unmerited favor. God showing mercy, grace, and love to a world, to us, to provide and to be the source of salvation. It's also important that we understand uh, the source of salvation as God the Son. Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who was crucified, buried, uh, rose again, and is now exalted at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the source and the provider through the cross. That's why we say His is a substitutionary atonement for us. Christ in our place. The Baptist faith and message reads this way, Jesus, by His own blood, obtained eternal redemption for the believer. Not something you can do for yourself. It's only through Christ. Jesus, the only source. Jesus, the only provider of salvation. It's why we read in Acts chapter 4 that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. It's important that we understand the gospel itself. Paul discussed the gospel's role, the gospel message, the good news that God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus went to a cross and died paying for our sins, and that through Him we can have forgiveness and life. Paul described here how the gospel leads to salvation, and the the hearing of that gospel and that message of the gospel is a source of salvation. Again, the Baptist faith and message reads, salvation is offered which would, of course, imply both a source and a provider. It's offered freely by God's grace. So we understand salvation is wonderful. It's wonderful because of the source. Uh, I was thinking this past week of uh, the various places that I like to eat. 
like most of you, I'm addicted to food. Um, I like good food. I like to eat it at good eating places. I'm a foodie, I guess, to some degree. Uh, but there's one place that I would say, in my growing up years particularly, was one of my favorite places to eat. That was at my Nana's house. My Nana is, uh, was my dad's mom. My Nana could cook. Uh, I, I never really knew all that she put into some of the food that she cooked, but she could make stuff like green beans taste like candy almost. Um, I, I, guess, I know she put sugar in it. I don't know what it was, but she, she could just she could make an amazing chicken fried steak. And uh, she was convinced that if one chicken fried steak was good for Mikey, then two would be even better. Right? You know what I'm saying? And so I, I loved to go eat at my Nana's house. And anytime we went to her house for Christmas or anything like that, I just knew there was going to be some good eating. But the thing that made it so special was the source. It was the source. I knew that whatever we were going to eat that day came from her heart. Because one of the things that she loved to do was cook for her family. It came from her heart, through her hands, ultimately to the table, and then ultimately into my tummy. And it was yummy for my tummy. I loved it because of the source. It was my Nana. And I miss that today because she's experiencing the glories of heaven right now. Um, But the source... One of the things that makes our salvation so very precious is the source. It's been provided for us by the grace of God. By the grace of God. The source of salvation. Let's consider, secondly, this morning, the need for salvation. The need for salvation. The very word salvation implies a need. Again, that's why people, even the unregenerate, would naturally ask the question, you're saved, you're saved from what? Saved from why would you need to be saved? Uh, now I, I know I've mentioned before, but I uh, when I was younger I went through the the Red Cross course to be a certified lifeguard, and one of the things that they teach you is um, the importance of discerning whether a person actually needs to be saved. Like you've got to determine is this person just just playing around or are they really drowning? That's that's one of the first things. What are the signs that you're looking for that this person needs to be rescued? Um, Well, Scripture makes it clear that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to rescue sinners lost in their sinfulness. And and Scripture describes our lostness in a number of different ways. We're described in Scripture before Christ as being blind, spiritually blind. And we have to have our eyes opened by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to see our need for a Savior. Okay, a number of different ways that we are described. Evil, ungodly, unrighteous, unholy, dead in sins, depraved, separated from God, transgressors, rebels, disobedient, followers of the world, followers of the evil one. That'll make you feel real good about yourself, won't it, right there? You know, the truth is this. <laughs> so many people today somehow mistakenly think that we are basically good people who sometimes make bad decisions. But the truth of the matter is, we are basically evil people who sometimes make good decisions, right? Yeah, at our heart. I mean, the Bible says that the, the, the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, and if you, if you make your way through the book of Romans here, you will very quickly see, Paul makes it crystal clear, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is again. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Salvation. The need for salvation. Wouldn't it be strange? 
Uh, if you were sitting in a doctor's office in the, in the waiting area, and, and suddenly instead of calling your name to have you come back into one of the examination rooms, instead the doctor came out into the waiting area and just started writing random prescriptions to people. You look like you need a narcotic. Here, here. And just handed it here. Oh, you, you definitely need an antibiotic. Here. I mean, this is weird. Like, like, how can you even know what it is that we need if you've not done a diagnosis? That would be just absolutely strange, right? Well, well tr- trust me, there's been a diagnosis. And the diagnosis has come back as crystal clear that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We need the grace of God. Uh, we, we are sinners in need of salvation. That's the need for salvation. Let's talk thirdly this morning about the purpose of salvation. Now, our text here of Romans chapter 1 and then the, even the wording of the Baptist faith and message use several different words and images and metaphors and concepts that, that help us to understand the purpose of salvation. One of them is, of course, our main word, salvation. The verb to save, or the word sozo in the original language, it means to rescue and to deliver. Uh, the, the picture provided in a word study on salvation is the idea of a deliverance or a rescue from a hopeless, perishing situation. It's like a military deliverance or a medical deliverance or a, a drowning deliverance, if you get that picture in your mind. Now, in the past few months, we've seen images of this kind of thing with the, the, the recent hurricanes and the, the, the wildfires going on out west. And these various, and we're seeing these images on the news of people being rescued from, from floodwaters or rescued from uh, you know, the, the, the fires out west and things. Uh, that, that's the idea. Another picture that we have from, from this passage and even the, the statement about salvation is the idea of righteousness. Paul here in Romans 1.17 described a righteousness from God that is revealed to make us righteous. This is what we call the great exchange of the gospel. Scripture clearly says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, I don't know if this is allowed anymore uh, in school cafeterias, but back in the day, you could trade things at lunch. Y'all remember that? Like if you had something that you didn't particularly care for or like, you might offer to a friend, say, hey, I'll trade you one of my cookies for some of your chips or, you know, whatever. Uh, and you may have thought at different times that you made a pretty good trade. Or maybe you traded, you, you guys, maybe you traded some, some football cards or baseball cards. You know, you'd, I'll give you this card for, for those. Hey, th- this, is, this is the greatest trade-off of all time in all of human history. Because what it says is, I get to trade my sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. He took upon himself my sinfulness, and in exchange, I get to be clothed in his righteousness. It's described this way in Scripture. I get to trade in my prison garments of sin for his robes of righteousness. So then when God the Father looks at me, what does he see? Does he see my sin? No. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's been put to my account. That's the purpose of salvation. Now we also have the idea of transformation. Those who were once going away from God living for self, in sin, become those who live by faith in Jesus, a transformed life. That's why we often say, I am not all that I could be or even should be, but by the grace of God, I'm not what I was. 
And I hope that what's being borne out in your life is what Scripture says. Those who are in Christ are a new creation. All things passing away, all things becoming new. Uh, it's a transformation that takes place. And, and most of us have known at least one or two people who we would say, wow, I, I knew them before they were saved. And now to know them after they've been saved, it's like two different people. Two different people. Now for some of us, that's, that's a little bit difficult to identify with. I was saved at the young age of eight. Okay, now... Just to be crystal clear this morning, I, I was a little sinner at the age of eight, okay? I could sass back to my mom and dad, I could, but, but I wasn't like a hardened criminal at that point in my life. I may have been heading that direction, but you know, I hadn't, there's, some, there's a lot that I hadn't experienced in terms of the sinfulness of this world, but I still, just as much as the, 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 the criminal on death row needed a savior, I needed a savior, I needed a life transformation, a life transformation. So the writers of the Baptist faith and message use the word redemption. The statement reads this way, salvation involves the redemption of the whole man. Redemption, remember, is buying back. It's, it's the buying back of a slave or the, the buying back or the ransom of one who is kidnapped, the, the buying back from our sins. So in Christ, we're, we're bought back from the slave market of sin and set free. That's what redemption is. Now, there are four very important theological concepts that clearly descri- are clearly described in Scripture as it relates to this overarching subject of, uh, of salvation. Let's look at those very quickly. There's regeneration. Regeneration is talked about uh, in the Baptist faith and message. The statement reads, Regeneration, or the new birth, is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit. Now the word and the concept there implies a recreating. God taking that which is old and defiled and recreating it into something new. Into something new. That's regeneration. Then there's the word justification. The statement defines justification this way. Justification is God's grace and full acquittal. That's a judicial term. You'll often hear in the news that someone was acquitted of a crime. Right? Well, in this case, who's the judge? Well, God's the judge. Okay? Who are the accused? Well, that'd be us. Okay? We are the accused. We, 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 before a holy God, we stand accused and guilty in our case. Guilty as sinners. It was God who judged us, and it was God who acquitted us. He declared us free and able to go. One way to remember the meaning of the word justification is it's, it's when we are made just as if I'd never sinned. Okay? Uh, we're cleared. We're cleared through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, notice the, the statement, what the statement indicates that he gives. Full acquittal, but upon principles of his righteousness. So it's not as if at any point we could stand before God and go, you know, I've kind of cleaned up. I, I, I've turned over a new leaf. I'm, I'm a better man than I once was. There are things I, I don't do that maybe I used to do, and now there's some things I do that I, I didn't in the past, and so I, I, I hope that I've cleaned up my record enough that I can be acquitted. No, remember, even on our best day, we can't do that. Always remember this. Any gospel that, that involves Jesus plus something else is a polluted gospel. It's a polluted gospel. 
Any gospel that says it's Jesus plus my best efforts or Jesus plus my best behavior, Jesus plus my good works, that's a polluted gospel. Justification is when we are acquitted of our sin based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now the statement also reads this way, justification brings the believer under a relationship of peace and favor with God. So what we have to remember is, we were enemies, rebels, transgressors, going our own way, but God brings us into relationship. It's the only way that we can be, as sinful men and women, reconciled to holy God, is through Jesus Christ. That's justification. And then there's sanctification. The statement reads that sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration, by which the believer is set apart to to God's purposes, enabled to progress toward moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. Growth and grace should continue throughout the regenerate person's life. And we talked some about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Holy Spirit indwelling us. It's by the Holy Spirit's indwelling power that we are able to progress in righteousness, in Christ-likeness. Now remember, we, we, we made sure that, there's, that we understood a distinction between being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you've truly turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, you are at that moment indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are filled with the Spirit. That's why Scripture tells us that we are to be being filled with the Spirit. And it's only to the degree that we are emptied of ourselves, we say, you know what, I'm not the one who needs to be on the throne of my life here. I need to yield every day, every moment of every day, complete control of my life to the Holy Spirit. It's then that we become filled with the Spirit. And it's then that we progress in righteousness in ways that we never could as long as we're sitting on the throne, as long as we're in control. So the only way that we'll see the fruit of the Spirit born out of our lives is when we say, you know what, I'm not in charge, you are. Holy Spirit, you are in charge. I want to be filled with your your power and your presence today. That's sanctification. Now it's both positional, meaning that God does something immediately to us, sanctifying us, cleansing us, making us holy, setting us apart. But it's also progressive or practical in that it is not finished until our death or the return of Christ. In other words, until heaven. Okay, So again, that's why we would say none of us can ever reach a place here in this life where we go, I've got it. I finally reached the pinnacle. Got it all figured out. No, we're all works in progress. That's sanctification. It's an ongoing process of God sanctifying or making us holy, cleansing us, making us pure, making us a fit vessel. And then there is glorification. Glorification. I love that word, glorification. The statement describes it this way. It is the culmination of salvation and is the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. Now that's some pretty fancy language for basically saying heaven with Jesus forever. Heaven with Jesus forever. How much better could it get? I mean, you see these amazing offers all the time. If you ever late at night and you're you know, flipping through the channels and you see these infomercials, it's just incredible how all the things that they offer you. And now, for the low, low price of $19.99, not one, not two, but we'll send you three of these, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you're just like, how can I not take that offer? Wow, I need that for something. I don't know what, but... It, 
No, this is an offer that far exceeds any earthly offer you've ever experienced. You may have thought you got a great deal on something. It, It pales in comparison to this. Trust me. This thing of glorification. Uh, and so we have um, regeneration, we have justification, we have sanctification and glorification. Now let's talk, uh, number four, about the recipients of salvation. The recipients of salvation. Again, Paul, in writing here to the Romans, and even our Baptist faith and message, discussed the recipients in several different ways. Right, so let's, let's make sure we define the recipients of salvation. Paul declared that the gospel is for everyone who believes. Salvation is for the Jew. Salvation is for the Gentile. It's for the Greek. It's for the non-Greek. For the wise, the foolish, the rich, the poor. Okay, Paul was convinced that everyone is a potential recipient of salvation. Paul was convinced that everyone should have the opportunity to hear the gospel that leads to salvation. That's why, again, the Baptist faith and message states, salvation is offered freely to all. What a wonderful salvation it is. And then Paul, in writing here, he discussed how to receive salvation. Verse number 16, he says, salvation to everyone who believes. The concept of believing or faith is crucial for recipients. Salvation is by faith. Okay, so it's more than just a mental assent. Okay, it's more than just a head knowledge, believing something to be true. Okay, we often say it this way. Just because you know how to get to Cincinnati doesn't mean that you're in Cincinnati. Right? Okay, you can sit here this morning, you may know how to get to Cincinnati, Ohio, but that doesn't mean you're in Cincinnati. And just because you're here this morning and you know how a person is saved, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're saved. Okay, it's not just a head knowledge. No, it's a belief that is grounded firmly in faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ and what he has already accomplished. There is, again, here's a, to me, the most important statement in our Baptist faith and message under salvation. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. So regardless of what pluralism may say, there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus, a person hearing the gospel message, responding personally and explicitly to the gospel message. Okay, So, so someone else can't get saved for you. You can't be saved by proxy. Okay, God has no grandchildren, so no one will stand before God someday and go, well, but my, my dad was a preacher. Or my mom taught Sunday school for 25 years at First Baptist Church. Okay? No, it's a personal decision that you make individually. Now, let's understand again in our text and then in the statement that there's no easy believism. Okay, it's repentance and faith. Repentance is a turning away from our sin and turning to God with life. Repentance and faith, inseparable experiences of grace. Repentance, a genuine turning away from sin toward God. Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and the commitment of the entire personality to Him as Savior and Lord. Okay, so where there may be some today who would say, well, I I want just enough Jesus to have my fire insurance to make sure that I don't spend eternity in hell. But I really don't want any kind of a relationship that would like impact my daily life. No, no, that's a false gospel. 
Okay? Christ has, has no desire to just be our fire insurance. He wants to be Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord. So it's a turning from our sin to faith in Jesus Christ, the recipients of salvation. And again, the question is clear this morning. Are you saved? Are you saved? By that, I do not mean, are you religious? I don't mean, are you a regular church attender? I don't, I don't mean, have you walked an aisle and filled out a card? I don't even mean, have you been baptized? Are you saved? Let's look finally at the challenge of salvation. Now, Paul is very clear here in Romans chapter 1 that because of the gospel and salvation, there's a challenge for us. The challenge would include the idea of our salvation being lived out. Remember, that's what James talked about, a faith that works. It works in that it is effective, but it's a faith that that gets busy. It rolls up its sleeves and works. We're not saved by works. We are saved for works, to unto good works. Okay, So it should be authenticated in your life. It should make a difference in the way that you view the world, in the, way that you, in the way that you work, in the way that you do family life, in the way that you handle your resources, should impact every part of your life. Also, salvation obligates us to proclaim the gospel to others. You see, Paul sensed here, and it's very obvious from his language, a profound obligation because of the gospel. Because of the salvation that God had provided for him, salvation made him eager to proclaim, and it should do the same thing for us. Nowhere in Scripture do you find a place that that we are to be undercover or incognito Christians. That we're to so camouflage our faith that that, that, that people can, can, can not even really tell whether we're Christians or not. Now, that's not to suggest that we're supposed to be obnoxious or we're supposed to go around beating people over the head with a big Bible or we're supposed to be cramming it down their throat. But nowhere do you find in Scripture that our our faith in Jesus Christ is supposed to be a private matter. Okay, It's something that we're to proclaim. We're to proclaim the good news of the gospel. In fact, the the original word for gospel, uh, evangelion, it's the same word from which we get the word angel. And angels were proclaimers. We are to be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself somehow embarrassed or ashamed of your faith in Christ, maybe you don't have an authentic faith. Maybe you do not have an authentic faith. Salvation should make us unashamed of the gospel. How do you think my wife would feel? Uh, if you know I encountered a friend or something and this friend did not know whether I was married or not, and I said, well... Yeah, I'm married to this girl and Christy, but let's let's keep it on the down low, okay? <laughs> I, what would that say about my love for my wife? That I'm somehow ashamed of her? That, that would be awful. And as ridiculous as that sounds, I'm, I'm convinced that that's how some people who profess to be Christians live out their Christian faith. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm Christian, but and we don't find that here. Paul very clearly says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone. And so again, the question is very clear this morning. Are you saved? And if it is your testimony that you are saved, are you living as if you're saved? In that you're not ashamed of the gospel and you're willing to proclaim it to a lost and dying world. 
Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. FBCVA is located at 121 East Marshall Street in Van Alstine, Texas, or you can visit us online at www.fbcva.com. Be sure to visit the Sermon Archive for more messages from this and other series.